0: All right, we are in our second week of our study of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. You should have an outline, um, and if you want to fill that in as we go, we'll try to make the sermon uh, fit that. Um, I want to see a picture online here first. Can you put the first uh, slide up for a second? How many of you uh, would accept this money? You would accept it? I, I would give it to you for free, yes, yes. You would accept it? Is yeah. any, anybody not willing to accept this? Why? Yes, it does, for motion picture purposes. It says on the, on the uh, up in, I can't do it from here. But on this one here, you can see it. It says motion picture purposes. It's fake. It looks real. But uh, I think uh, Ben there has a little uh, grin on his face, which is not normal on dollar bills or or $100 bills either. And uh, so, now how many would accept it? Nobody wants it. Yeah, and if you try to use this, you will be arrested and you will be put in jail. Okay. Um, reporter Maggie Kent from Action News ABC6 in Philadelphia told a story on October 1st of this year of a woman who was scammed when she tried to sell her car, when she actually sold her car, uh, on Craigslist. Here's the story. Cinnamonson, New Jersey, October 1st, 2018. Kimmy Caruso-Wolbert walked into a bank Sunday morning with an envelope full of cash ready to make a deposit. However, she walked out, the victim of a scam. There were about six $50 bills that had the same serial number, and not one of the bills they gave me was real, she said. Caruso-Wolbert got quite the shock when she tried to deposit $1,200 into her account the day after she sold her 2002 Hyundai XGL on Craigslist. The keys and the title were given over, and she had an envelope of money, and the three buyers took off. She said they didn't seem like there was a care in the world. No jitters, no nerves, nothing. All of the cash they provided was fake. Counterfeit cash. And the thing is, when you first saw this picture... Several of you put your hands up. Yeah, I'll take that. Is it for free? Sure, yeah, it's free. (laughs) It can look so real. It can feel real. But the problem with it is that it is absolutely worthless. And this woman gave up the ownership of her car for worthless pieces of paper. In our study in the book of Galatians chapter 1 we will see that the Galatian church has become victim of a far worse scam. False teachers, and I'm going to call them scammers because that's what they are, had wormed their way into the Galatian church and had persuaded the Galatians to give up something of value, of eternal value for something as worthless as counterfeit cash. This was shocking to the Apostle Paul Um, For he had preached the gospel to these people, and they had believed the gospel he preached, and they were saved. But now they were duped into believing that what Paul preached to them was not enough to save them. There had to be something more. They had to do something more than simply believing the gospel, simply having faith in the Lord. They had to now obey the law to be saved. So who was telling the truth? Was it the Apostle Paul or was it the scammers? Who was legitimate and who was the counterfeit? Paul's message was simple and straightforward. The gospel is good news. So, as we preach the gospel, we have good news to tell people. And it is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was buried. And Jesus rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the good news. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And in Galatians 1.4, Paul repeats that message where he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. Noah had brought that up to us last week. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not for crimes that he had committed. He was punished for crimes that we had committed against God. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. I like to, if you notice on the slide, I've put down in red, put your name in there. Because that's really what the verse is saying. But he was wounded for Don Robertson's transgressions. He was bruised for... Don Robertson's iniquities. The chastisement for Don Robertson's peace was upon him, and by his stripes, Don Robertson is healed. Put your name in there. That's what the verse is saying. Just before he died on the cross, Jesus cried out, Telestai. That's the Greek word that he used, which in English means it is finished. Or really, literally, it's one word, finished. And so when he died on the cross, and he used that word to telestai, he was saying finished. You say, well, what was finished? Everything that was necessary to pay for your sins and to make you justified in God's court. Everything that was necessary, he did on the cross. And when he was finished, paying the debt in full, he said, finished. To telestai, your sin debt was paid in full. So if you get a bill from PG&E for utilities this month and it's $237 and you make a payment, a bank transfer, or you go down to PG&E and you pay in cash or however you pay your bill and you pay that $237, and they stamp it paid in full, can they ever come after you again? No, not for that amount. They may get you on the next, the next month. But if that's the end of your billing cycle, and that's the end of the use of PG&E, and you pay it in full, it's paid in full. When Jesus paid for your sin debt in full on the cross, it was paid in full. He died for your sins on the cross. And that's what Paul means when he says, in verse 5, Jesus gave himself for our sins. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what Paul preached. And it's very simple. And the only thing that you have to do in light of that good news message is to believe. You simply say, yes, Lord, I believe. You know, there were many, many years ago... There was a man, and he was a nomad. He went out uh, walking in the deserts and had a sheep. Uh, he had flocks of goats and sheep and all the rest of it. And he was a very old man. And one day God brought him out and he said, Abram, look at the stars. And Abraham looked up at the stars. And of course, in those days, there, were, there, were no, uh, there was no uh, pollution in the sky The amount of stars he saw was like something you might see when you're at Yosemite, but even more probably. And as he looked up into the sky, God said to him, I'm going to give you children as numerous as the stars in the sky. He was a childless man. He was not nearly a hundred years old. And it says in the scripture, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him for righteousness. Righteousness. This is really uh, Abraham stepping out in faith. And God counted that simple trust in him as sufficient for his salvation. And he was justified that day. The moment a sinner believes what God says on the matter of salvation, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The moment a sinner believes on the Lord Jesus Christ He is saved. And I say that on the authority of the word of God. That's what happened. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." We believe, as Paul believed, and we teach, as Paul taught, in faith alone. When you trust alone in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are saved. Faith alone in Him. Another way of looking at it is to, we'll do a mathematical equation. Faith plus zero equals salvation. That's what we believe. I hope that's what... You believe as well. When Paul came to Galatia, that was the gospel he preached, and it was the gospel they believed. So when we come to verse 6 in chapter 1, we are in for a big surprise. The scammers, the false teachers, um, we'll call them preachers of a counterfeit gospel, they came in and they brought with them a counterfeit gospel. There's a lot about it that looks real. This sounds plausible. It even sounds spiritual. It sounds like it might be true, but it's a lie. It's a counterfeit gospel. And the gospel, the scammers' gospel went something like this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you must believe that. Well, that's good as far as it goes. But people, you have been deceived. If you think that's enough... You are sorely wrong. Here's what you really need in order to be saved. I realize I'm quoting what they might have said, okay? It's not what I believe. Theirs was faith plus, not faith plus nothing. It was faith, first of all, plus circumcision equals salvation. And so they looked at the law and they said, well, God made a covenant With Abraham. And the covenant was that the male child would be circumcised on the eighth day. And that was part of his covenant and the blessings. And so, if you really want the blessings of God, you have to be circumcised too. But that wasn't enough, it had to be faith plus circumcision plus the Ten Commandments. And so you have to obey all the Ten Commandments because, after all, God gave the Ten Commandments to to Moses. And Moses wrote them on on stone, or God wrote them on stone, and Moses read the Ten Commandments to the people, and the people were to obey the, the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That sounds very spiritual. And the Jews at that time said, yes, we will obey all of these laws. And how many of them broke the law? Every single one of them broke the law. And so a law that is broken requires punishment. And punishment for sin is death. They couldn't do it. But it wasn't enough. Noed mentioned to us last week that it's not only faith plus circumcision plus 10 commandments, but there's actually over 600 commandments if you look at them. Um, And uh, there's more laws. and, And the... Addition to that is that you have to do all of that and keep it perfectly your entire life. Every single person, every single human being on the face of the earth fails miserably in this. Not just once in their life, but every day of their life. We fail miserably. In, in this, we could never attain salvation if this is really what it took. But this is what they were preaching to the Galatians that you must obey all of these things in order to be saved, and um, you must keep them without failure. And so the good news is not really good news at all. And the danger of this counterfeit message is that it gives people the, the illusion that they get to heaven by obeying these rules. It's a lie, and it's a lie that has been inflicted upon the human race since the Garden of Eden. If you remember, in the Garden of Eden, God took a lamb, he killed the lamb, shed its blood, and he clothed Adam and Eve with the animal skin. And he must have told Adam and Eve that he required a blood sacrifice, a blood sacrifice that would cover uh, cover them. It was a picture, the lamb was a picture of what God would ultimately do in sending his son to the cross to shed his blood as the lamb of God. If you remember John uh, the the, uh, Baptist, when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he pointed to him and he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's no longer a covering. It's no longer temporary. It's permanent. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Adam and Eve had two sons at that time, Cain and Abel. Abel, the Bible tells us, believed God and he brought the necessary sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. But Cain deceived himself and believed he could earn his way to God's favor "...by offering a bloodless sacrifice, a sacrifice of his own works. He worked hard out into the, in the fields, he gathered grain, and he offered the grain to the Lord, a bloodless sacrifice. And the Lord rejected it. He said, no. And, and his countenance fell. And he said, look, if you do well, it will go well for you. And he refused to, and he killed his brother ultimately. God rejects anyone's attempt to earn his favor by his own good works." And the curse of God will be upon anyone who attempts to uh, be right with God by their own good works. A counterfeit gospel has eternal consequences. And these false teachers, these scam artists, will face the judgment of God, for they have led countless millions to an eternity without God. Millions of religious people who think they are on the right path are deceived because they hold in their hands a counterfeit gospel. It's a gospel with no value, with no forgiveness for sins, with no promise of eternal life, and no chance of entrance into heaven. It is absolutely worthless. So we want to consider this morning how these counterfeiters work what is their strategy? What is their MO, their modus operandi? Well, first of all, they turn people away from Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says, "'I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel.'" Last week, one of the questions on the paper was, what is the difference in Paul's greeting in Galatians compared to his greetings in other epistles? And what the answer, I realized the way I asked the question was uh, not as clear as it should have been, but the answer I was looking for was, was this. He said, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and peace. So grace and peace is actually a very common uh, greeting that he makes in Every book that he writes, or pretty much every book he writes. Normally, after he says that, he writes some commendation, some praise to the church about what they're doing right, and then he gets into uh, things that they need to correct. But here, he doesn't do that at all. Immediately after saying grace and peace, he jumps right into what is the problem in the Galatian church. It is so serious because it condemns people to hell. And so Paul jumps right in with both feet, and he starts to um, speak to them about his amazement. He's he's shocked. He's amazed. He wonders what the Galatians had done in surrendering the truth of the gospel for a counterfeit gospel. And so the tactic of false teachers, not only then, but even today, is that they're... They desire to turn people away from Christ. It's one of the marks of a cult. They attack the person of Christ, denying his deity, denying that he is the image of the invisible God, denying his eternal Godhood, denying his humanity, denying that he is the Christ. And a close second, false teachers and cults attack not only the person of Christ, but the work of Christ, denying his virgin birth, denying his sinless perfection, denying his death on the cross, denying his resurrection. And the false teachers were claiming that their message was the gospel. It was the good news. But no, you know, no counterfeiter is going to hand you a fake $50 bill and say, hey, by the way, this is fake, you know, but give me your goods anyway. They purposely try to deceive you. They want you to accept the fake money and give give them something of real value. The false teachers are not going to bring a message to you and say, hey, by the way, everything I'm about to tell you is false. It's fake. It's a lie. They're going to try to deceive you. The difference is that with cash, if you lose something of value, it's material things. Okay, so what? you know but if you give up with spiritual counterfeiters you're bargaining your eternal soul and they want you to accept their counterfeit message and when you do you are giving up your soul these are destructive heresies taught by false teachers and spurred on by satanic strategies what you believe and who you believe is the difference between life and death, between hell, heaven and hell, and between eternity with God or eternal damnation. This is a message you cannot afford to get wrong. Paul was shocked to learn that the Galatians had so quickly turned from the Lord Jesus Christ to another gospel. And really what he's saying is by embracing this gospel, you are letting go of Christ. You are giving up on him. You're turning away from him. And as he he was stunned to learn that they had forsaken the grace of Christ for the law. What is grace? Grace, as we've taught so many times, is God's undeserved favor to sinners. Undeserved favor. John Newton wrote, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was a wretched sinner. God saw me in my sin and was moved with grace to save my soul at the cost of his own son. Jesus died for me. And that is the first sentence of the gospel of grace. And the Galatians had turned from this. They had turned from God's grace and they said, no, we're, we're, we're not accepted by God through his grace, we're accepted by God through our works, through the things that we do, how we live our life. They had to work for their salvation. They had to be good enough for God to accept them. And it was a message that put them in the the place of their Savior. In other words, Jesus is no longer their Savior, they are their own Savior, And it depends on how much works or how good their works are. They became their own savior, savior, and that would end in disaster. The second trait of a false teacher or of a cult is that their message is not good news. Galatians 1.7, you have turned to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What the false teachers are spreading around is not another of the same kind of gospel. It is simply not the true gospel at all. It's a perversion of the true gospels. Theirs was a false gospel. It was not good news at all. I like the way the NIV translate this verse. It says, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And this counterfeit message threw the Galatians into confusion and perplexity and turmoil. And the message is the opposite of the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace tells us what God did for us to save us. The counterfeit message tells us what we must do to save ourselves. And it's completely impossible. It was a satanic attempt to confuse the Galatians. And it is the same tactic that he uses today through cults and false teacher. Their message is not good news. Well, we want to consider the source of the message and the consequences of believing it. In the next two verses, Paul looks at potential preachers of counterfeit gospel, and he begins, first of all, with um, its preachers, and he takes on an hypothetical Case In Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word is let him be anathema. In verse eight, Paul sets up an hypothetical case. He says this, what if I came back to you and I preached a gospel different Than I first preached to you. I am telling you, I'm writing to you now do not accept it. What I told you originally is true. If I come back and tell you something different, do not accept it, even if it's me. Would Paul ever do that? No, it's hypothetical. Better yet, suppose an angel from heaven came and preached to you another gospel. An angel were to come in this morning and stand here in my place and were to preach to you another gospel other than the gospel of grace. Do not even believe the angel, Paul is saying. Don't let that change your mind. It really makes no difference who the messengers are. We are to judge the message. Does the message line up with the scripture? If not quickly reject it. We may be easily stirred by a preacher with a loud voice or a charismatic teacher. Paul cuts through all of that and says, look, if I came or if an angel came, judge the message, overlook the messenger. The question isn't who is the messenger? The question is, what is the message? Is it a message of faith alone? Or is it a message of faith plus works? If it's a message of faith plus anything, it's false. It's a counterfeit. Talks about an angel. Satan, the Bible tells us, can appear as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that some of his agents appear the same way. Many people... Are persuaded by two very handsome young men dressed in nice suits, come to your front door, knock on your front door. We are from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, they'll tell you. Not usually right away, but they'll eventually tell you that. They're so clean cut, they look so nice, they've had showers, they're dressed so nicely. They're all American boys. Who wouldn't like them? Their founder, Joseph Smith, claimed that he was visited by an angel. And even if an angel appears and tells you another gospel, you don't believe them. He he believes, or he taught, that he was um, visited by an angel called Moroni, who gave him the message that the Mormons now believe. They don't believe that Jesus is the eternal God. They don't preach that, uh, or they don't preach a gospel of grace. They teach a gospel of works, and they actually teach that you can become gods yourself, and that God will give you an opportunity to populate your own private planet as your own private God. I don't care how nicely dressed they are. I don't care how nice they seem to be, and polite they might appear uh, at the doorstep. They are preaching a counterfeit gospel, and they are leading millions and millions of people to hell. As Paul said, let them be accursed. In my opinion, the largest cult on the planet is the Roman Catholic Church, and People don't like me saying that, but I'll tell you why I say it. The, the Vatican claims that, they, that there are 1.2 billion Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics on the planet. Now, the Catholic Church professes to know and love the Lord. They teach about sin. Catholics know about sin. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again the third day. They teach a counterfeit gospel, however. um, When it comes to the issue of how a person is saved, they teach that a person must have faith. That's good. But they also must have works to be saved. And the specific form of works are given. One very pro-Catholic website I read yesterday said, based on the scripture and tradition, the Catholic Church teaches that in order to attain salvation, a person must, in response to God's grace, fulfill the following. They must believe in God. True or false? True. Put his faith in Jesus. True. Repent of his sins. Be baptized in the Roman Catholic Church remain within the fold of the Roman Catholic Church, hope in God, persevere in charity, and finally die in a state of grace. But it goes further than that. If you asked a Catholic friend or co-worker, what must you do to be saved, they would probably tell you, well, I have to go to Mass every Sunday. No matter what. I must obey the Ten Commandments. I must pray to Mary. I must accept my cross of suffering. I must confess my sins. I must do penance. And I'm sure they will come up with many more things uh, that they have to do in order to be saved. Because they are taught by that church that these are necessary for salvation. And I think of what Paul said in Corinthians uh, when he talked about you know, uh, he was condemning those sins. He said that neither fornicators nor adulterers nor effeminate and so on shall enter into the kingdom of God and such were some of you. I like that phrase. Such were some of you. And when we talk about Catholicism, I look out in the audience and I say, and such were some of you. Praise the Lord. He saved you out of that lie and out of that deception. Praise his name. The Pope believes that he is the vicar of Christ on earth. What that means is that he is claiming to be God's, rep- or the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. What he says is equivalent, in his mind, to what Jesus says. But even if an angel, Paul says, and so I think we could lessen that down a little bit and say, and even if the Pope came, and preached here this morning, he would be preaching a counterfeit gospel. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. That man and that church is leading, by their own statistics, 1.2 billion people to hell. Let him be accursed. Now, Paul turns his attention from the hypothetical case to the actual case in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's not Paul he's talking about. It's not an angel from heaven he's talking about here. Paul instead, at this time, scours the entire planet and says, if there is anyone on earth, anyone, It doesn't matter who that person is who brings you another gospel, whether it's your favorite preacher, your favorite teacher, your Bible study leader, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, I don't care who it is, your friends, your neighbors, or the false teachers who entered into Galatia, whoever they might be, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have already received, let him be accursed. There is no stronger language. There is no stronger condemnation in all of Scripture. And that is because the issue is so serious. The issues at stake are your eternal soul and the eternal soul of every person that has ever lived. The notion that we should all just coexist or that all faiths lead to God That is absolute rubbish. We are not talking about joining together to clean the environment or whether we think murder is bad. We are talking about the message of the cross versus the message of human effort. And we are talking about those who preach a counterfeit gospel that ultimately leads people to hell, not to heaven. Let them be accursed. Paul has repeated this phrase twice now, and you can sense the passion in his writing. The word accursed is anathema, and it means something that is devoted to destruction. We cannot believe these false teachers. We cannot follow them. They are devoted to destruction, and all who follow them are also heading for destruction. In uh, 2 John chapter 1, the Scripture warns believers... And it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians, that they had turned from him. They had turned from the the Lord Jesus Christ to a false gospel. And in 2 John 1.10, it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. The Bible speaks very frankly about things or people devoted for destruction. In Jude chapter 11, Cain, who refused to believe God's way of salvation, the children of Israel, who were delivered from Egypt, but an entire generation died in the desert sands, because they did not believe God. The fallen angels who are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment, they again are devoted for destruction. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains, they were devoted to destruction, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And if you read through the the epistle of Jude, you will see this over and over and over again through the verses of that book. The true gospel is that I have absolutely nothing to do with my salvation. I I have nothing to do with it. Salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God through the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for my sins in full. The gift is offered and all I have to do is believe that that gift is for me and receive it for myself. I simply believe what he said, and he declares me righteous in his sight. Wow. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so it is the way we are declared righteous. So really the gospel is the greatest message ever heard. The gospel saves a person from eternal destruction. The gospel saves a person from the curse of sin. But the counterfeit gospel teaches that I need to earn my way to heaven by being good, and that is totally impossible. And so what? there's no good news there at all. That is not good news, folks. I cannot earn my way to heaven, and neither can you. It's impossible. The counterfeit gospel, then, leads a person to the lake of fire forever. The counterfeit gospel makes me accursed, anathema, dedicated to destruction. And Paul unleashes his harshest condemnation in all of his writing to those who lead unsaved people astray. But remember, it's not just what Paul is saying. Paul is writing the Word of God. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not simply Paul's opinion or Paul's view of things. This is the very Word of God. It is God Himself who says this. God Himself is warning that those who preach a counterfeit gospel are devoted for destruction. So I want to ask you this morning, who will take a stand against them? Verse 10, For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Was Paul trying to win the approval Of the Galatians or the false teachers? Obviously not. Not not with those kind of comments. Let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. Let them be devoted to destruction. Twice he says that. He's not trying to please men. He's not trying to win their favor or approval. He was not a man pleaser. His desire was to stand up courageously against false teachers and their counterfeit gospel. That would be pleasing to God. So what can we do about it? What what is our response? Well, first of all, we can take a stand ourselves on the truth. Not wavering on the truth of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Brothers and sisters, take a stand. Take a stand. Secondly, we can contend for the faith. The word contend there really means to battle. It's a fight. We are in a spiritual battle. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And finally, we must preach the gospel because the gospel is the... As we preach it, it's, it's what we are doing to rescue those who are perishing because they are devoted to destruction. We are rescuing the perishing as we preach the gospel. And the gospel is a wonderful message, it's, a, it's good news. And so, all of those people who are in the Catholic Church, all of those people who are in the Mormon Church or in the Seventh day Adventists or whatever other, other cult or false teaching they're in, they can be saved. As long as they have breath, they can be saved. They can reject the, the counterfeit and they can embrace the truth of the gospel. And Paul, That's why Paul says in Romans 1, <clears throat> For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Those who have been deceived by a counterfeit gospel need to be rescued. And it is the truth of the gospel that saves a person. And as we preach it, it is the power of God that works in their heart and in their life. And as they believe the gospel, they are saved and delivered from from eternal hell. And so I ask you this morning, what can we do about it? Who will share the gospel this week? And with whom shall you share the gospel this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the the truth of the gospel message and the simplicity of it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take a stand uh, for the truth of the gospel, that we would earnestly contend for the faith and that, Lord, we would be actively preaching the gospel to those that we come in contact with, whether friends, co-workers, family, schoolmates. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to deliver those who are perishing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.